You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. When I'm tuning into the news, when I'm tuning into social media, when I'm tuning into the headlines, those things don't help me remember who I am. They actually encourage me to forget who I am. I'm very strict about where my attention and my energy is going. That helps me when I decide to tune out of the media and the social things to go into myself and to have a clearer receptivity towards my voice when it speaks to me. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why, where I talk to creatives and founders about their purpose and how they've navigated living in a way that feels honest. Also, I recently started a Substack newsletter to share episode recaps. Y'all were asking for more direct ways to engage with the power of why, so you can find the link in the description. Make sure to connect with me there. All right, let's dive right into this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Hailey, and today I am joined by the incredible Joan Rupram. Joan, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I'm really looking forward to jumping into our conversation together and just seeing where we flow. I'm excited for it too. Uh, So for some context, Joan is an Indo-Caribbean femme immigrant and descendant of Indian indentureship of Guyana. They are a healer and an educator focused on ushering wellness as the foundation of sustainable leadership, really bridging the gap between the spiritual and the practical. Uh, Joan's mission is to build the inner caliber of millennial change doers and new school thought leaders to be and build the change they seek in today's world and changing you know, social and economic climate so that they can embody their leadership lead their greatness, and reclaim their self-mastery. Joan brings an intersectional perspective to their work with an eclectic background in social justice, political science, experiential learning, and spiritual evolution. Joan turned uh, turned to spirituality at 21 years old and brings a deep awareness of the relationship between early childhood traumas unprocessed emotions, and its many manifestations as habits, patterns, and choices. And the journey of their unconventional path continues to inspire millennial leaders like myself to really prioritize their mastery, uh, to show up in the world ready to lead. So thank you again for being here, Joan. And if you can share with everyone a little bit more about your origin story and how you grew up. Sure. So I was born in Guyana, and I lived there for the first 10 years of my life. And that was such a beautiful experience for me to be uh, just growing up on that land and to be part of the family that I was born into. But that's not to say that my early childhood was not extremely intense. Uh, I'm grateful for the intensity of it now, but it was very intense. Um, I have a background in a lot of compounding trauma from unconsensual touch to domestic violence to abuse. So there was really a lot of uh, intense traumatic experiences that I had earlier and earlier on in my life. After um, I was about 10, my family, my father, my sister, and I, we moved to Canada. And we were living in Canada without my mother. And my mother came as a, uh, came as an, we were, were immigrants to the country, but my mother came afterwards, I think it was about six months later. And so that separation and that breaking up of my family while we were migrating was actually very traumatizing for me as well. So. Uh, there was a lot of compounding trauma in my life up until my 20s. You know, I also was experiencing so much mental health uh, issues and just mental health challenges in my teenage years. And I had no idea why and what was happening to me. I just knew that I felt weird and different. 
and unsure about my place in the world. And but none of that really made me question anything around me. I just knew that I was feeling this way, and I was okay with feeling as awful as I was feeling. But at two, no wait, at nineteen, I got pregnant, and I had my daughter when I was twenty years old, and birthing my daughter at such a young age really intensified lots of things for me but also uh, fast-paced a lot of my evolution and a lot of my growth that I experienced I you know it was because of my daughter and the birth of my daughter that really forced me to actually question what I was experiencing to really question what I was feeling inside my body to really question the life that was in front of me and that seemed to be the rest of my life and to really question what my reality was if, if it was not for the birth of my child at that age I would not have asked those big questions that I did ask in my life and so after the birth of my daughter I, I went on this I had I went on this path of seeking because I was so depressed I here I was I made this choice to bring forth this child in my life, you know, and and for the most selfish reason as well. I thought, I'm going to have this baby. I'm 19. I thought, I'm going to have this baby. She's going to love me forever. <laughs> and that's why I want to have this baby, because I will receive unconditional love for the rest of my life. Oh my mm-hmm. This is literally why I had my child. And so the most selfish reason ever. And... But and so I made this choice to have this daughter, and now all of a sudden my life feels so miserable and nothing feels good. And I'm asking myself why I made all these choices. Why do why don't it feel good? And I was just in such a depressive state. I was so depressed for such a long time, and I just stayed there. I didn't know what to do. But it was knowing that that I chose to have this baby that really made me say to myself listen you need to start asking yourself what's going on with you you need to start looking at what's happening with you because as depressed as i was i was also suicidal and so i thought to myself wow you decided to bring in this baby so that they could love you for the rest of your life And now here you are, almost on a daily basis, contemplating what it would be like to not be alive anymore. That would be the most selfish thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I had all these really intense experiences, and I started just seeking and seeking and seeking for answers. I really had to like stare at myself in the mirror and say, choose to commit to life now, or accept that your life will feel shitty the way it is if you do nothing. And that you might potentially not want to stay alive. Like, you know, choose to commit to life. Make a choice. And that was really the first time when I started to question and seek and just look for answers. And just turn to all sorts of different spiritual uh, scriptures and different religions. Just looking for something that would help me understand me and what life is about and all of that. And that has been the last 10 years of my life. (laughs) Really going into saying I'm committing to life and I'm committing to understanding what life is about. And I'm committed to understanding who I am and, and whatever that looks like. And it hasn't looked nice and easy and shiny and sexy. It's been intense. But the intensity is this ever refining evolution of myself right so you know there's there's grace and gratitude for it but it doesn't feel good when you're in it (laughs) but you know because I had all this traumatic experiences from such an early point in my life there was just so much that was so much pain and suffering that was in my body just really calling out for me to look at it to look at it and with the birth of my 
daughter and then becoming a single parent a year after my daughter was born, that just intensified this calling inside of me to look deeper, to look deeper. I was literally brought to my mm-hmm. knees and I had to say, okay, I'm looking, show me, what do I need to see? Right. And that show me, what do I need to see has been 10 years of me just going deeper into wanting to really understand who I am and what I'm doing here. Yeah. That moment when you fell to your knees and, you know, were yelling, show me, tell me I'm ready to receive, you know, what energy were you speaking to? Were you talking to yourself? Were you talking to God? Were you talking to a higher power? What exactly, you know, where was that energy um, sort of signal to and, and what exactly were you expecting, if anything? That's a great question. The first time I had that experience, the first time I had this experience, I was 23. And for me, it was talking to myself, right? I was, I remember this moment so viscerally because my daughter was four and I had just put her to bed and I was getting ready to go take a shower. And I step into the shower and the water is just running running all over me and I sit down in the tub and I just start to cry and I'm crying and I'm crying and I'm just crying because my life feels so terrible everything feels awful my body feels awful my life feels Mm -hmm. awful everything is just awful and I'm crying and I'm just crying and crying and this voice in my head says to me you need to make a choice And this voice in my head says to me, you have to choose to either look at why you're feeling this way or accept that you're going to feel like this for the rest of your life and just accept that this is what life is about. And for me, that that moment, that was a very pivotal moment, but it was also such a very conscious moment. I was very aware that things weren't okay with me. And that I needed to figure out why. And that if I did not look at why, that I would probably stay living the way that I'm living right now. Am I okay with that? And for me, the answer was no. I'm not okay with living the way that I'm feeling right now. For me, I believe it was just my higher self speaking back to me, saying you have to choose. Become aware, understand, and choose. Commit to life. In a sense, it was, you know, there's so many ways we can describe that. I can say I was talking to myself because essentially I was. But I could also say that that spirit was talking to me because my higher self is my spirit. <laughs> right? Mm. But but ultimately is that I, I was guided by my own higher sense, my own divine nature. I was being guided in that moment. And I had calmed down my you know, ego enough to actually hear the voice and to actually sit with the voice and say, okay, I need to make a decision, commit to living, which was the decision at that time because I was suicidal, right? Commit to living, make that choice that if you're going to live, right? If you're going to live this life, then figure out how to live this life. Like be in it, live it, participate in life. And don't just walk around mm-hmm. and say, it feels like shit. Be in it, participate in it, right. be active in my life. Choose life, commit to life. Or stay the way that I am and keep feeling how I'm feeling. So that was the choice, that was a choice moment for me. And I, and I chose to commit to life. I had no idea what that was going to look like or what I had to do or what I was going to do. I just knew that, okay, starting from now, When I wake up tomorrow after the shower, I'm committing to life. I've committed to being here, being present, being alive. I'm committing. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, And through all of the, you know, pain and trauma that you experienced, how did you walk through life? What was your, what was your energy like? And when you engaged with people who were in your circle or people that you worked with or engaged with, you know, on a day-to-day basis, did it feel like you were surviving? Did it look like you were surviving or were you just okay? How did what you were feeling internally really translate to 
you know, who Joan was on the external and just the way that you interacted with people. And the reason, maybe I can preface this, like the reason that I'm asking that is when we have these interactions with people in our lives, even if we speak to the time that we're in right now, most people respond with, you know, how are you doing with, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Even if that's not the case and everyone is going through something, but the questions that you ask yourself at such a young age were so profound they were so complex almost complex and simple like I don't know I, I feel like those both can exist at the same time but I'm just wondering what your interactions felt like and how you really balanced how you were feeling with how you were sort of you know living in this world yeah so gosh my expression during that time was like I was a people pleaser <laughs> um I was a people pleaser. I wanted to please so I could be loved. And that, like, you know, it was always, it always came down to that. I always wanted to please so that people would love me back in return, right? I would overgive in my relationships. I would give beyond what I had to give. And then I would give in a very unconscious way. And I wasn't even giving anymore. I was just an empty, dead vessel continuing Mm -hmm. to try to give when I was just done. (laughs) So I was just an overgiver. I was a people pleaser. I denied my truth so much. I denied my desires. I judged all of me, every single piece of my being. I judged from my body to my mind, to my intelligence, to my wisdom. Everything was judged. I remember that there was a moment when my daughter, she was probably three, four, and she told a friend that she wanted to be just like her mom. When she grows up, she wants to be just like mom. And I heard this and I said to myself, oh gosh, no, (laughs) I do not want to be me. (laughs) And hearing her say that at that time in my life was the most terrifying thing I could have ever heard. So much insecurity, so much pleasing for other people because I didn't know what my own love felt like and I just wanted love I just wanted to feel love I just wanted to be in love and I thought that if I performed like a really good person if I Mm. performed really well someone would love me back in return right so that was kind of what I looked like uh up until like my early 20s you know I was listening to an interview with Elizabeth Gilbert and she was talking about how she sort of defines people pleasers Mm -hmm. and I think we all have a little bit of, we all like to people please, right? Because it's in that moment that your easy way out, right? I mean, it's easier <laughs> to not get uncomfortable and not ask the tough questions. And the way she framed it was interesting, but she said, people pleasers manipulate others for their own safety, right? They are not yes. pleasing other people per se, but they're really keeping themselves safe. And I was like, wait, mm-hmm. What? sit in that for a little what does that what does that mean (laughs) that's yeah that's such a beautiful like untethering because it truly is like I see that in myself all the time I remember we had this conversation like last week where I said to you like we have to acknowledge our egos in the room right that's part of our ego the the, being a manipulator and it's not a and here's my rule whenever we talk about ego and we talk about our ego we don't hate or shame or be mean or judge our ego we just talk about it from Mm -hmm. an observer point of view okay so uh so yeah you know what what happens when you want to people please is maybe you struggle maybe you're someone who struggles with standing in your truth Maybe you are someone who struggles with just owning your voice, owning what is important to you, and just saying it, right? Maybe you've had experience where your voice was stuffed down when you were younger, and your voice wasn't openly encouraged to be shared in safety and belonging, right? And so maybe you have had an experience where your voice wasn't safe, where asking for what you truly want wasn't safe you couldn't do that 
And what happens is, for me at least, I would, I would, I was like a puppet, right? I would do whatever I was told to do without questioning it. And for me, in my experience, like I mentioned earlier, there was trauma and abuse around my background. So for me, uh, uh, stuffing my voice was an act of safety, right? It was dangerous for me to have a voice. And I learned that very earlier on. And so in order for me to stay safe where I was, I needed to do as I was told to do and be really good at it. And when I did what I was told to do and I was good at it, then in return, I would receive softness. I would receive tenderness. Right. I, right? So mm -hmm. I didn't learn to just ask for some love. Hey, uh, can we cuddle? Hey, can I get a hug? Mm -hmm. Hey, I love you. I wasn't taught to just be in this energy. I was taught that someone's going to tell me what to do and then I'm going to do it. And if I do it really well, they're going to be nice back to me. Right? Mm -hmm. So I learned that. I learned that when I was very young. Because I learned that and that was like my uh, baseline. You know, that's where I built up from. That was my foundation. I started feeling and believing that in order to receive love, I had to make other people happy because that's what I was taught to do when I was little. Mm -hmm. I had to make my parents happy and then they would be soft and tender and gentle with me. And so I learned that and I just, I started to, to believe and make meaning that that's how I need to function in this life. I need to please other people, work really well, perform really good. And when I do that, then I'm going to get what I want, which is love, which for me was love. So I'm not actually, uh, I'm not actually pleasing because I want to please. I'm actually pleasing because I want to get something in return, right? Okay. So yeah, that's the manipulation yeah. piece, right? That's the mm -hmm. manipulation piece. That's being, that's the manipulator. Now, what does this look like in, let's say, a love relationship? Well, I might not tell my partner explicitly, hey, can you give me this? But I might say it in like a passive aggressive kind of way. And when I say it in that kind of way, what I'm really trying to do is to manipulate the situation to feed something that I want from my ego. But I'm not going to say it directly. <laughs> right? So it can look, it can look in, it can look many different kinds of way for you, depending on what meaning you have made and what emotion, emotional connection you have, you know, uh, connected or associated with those meanings. But yeah, that's what the manipulation piece is about. You please so that in return, you feed something that your ego wants. And you do it to feed your ego, essentially. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we all have flavors of this in our own lives. And for me, that safety looked like really denying myself. And it looked mm -hmm. like not being able to express how I really felt. It meant reducing how joyful I was, you know, just to fit in. And it, and it, and it started at a very early age, you know, as being... Oftentimes, I know we can relate to this, you know, really growing up here, but being the only one, for me, being the only black girl in a lot of situations. And so safety was not being myself. Safety was mm -hmm. conforming so that I could protect myself or shield myself from being made fun of, being labeled as an outcast, all of these things. So, yeah, that's really interesting. And so for you, how did you, what was your process for understanding the types of behavior that you sort of adopted and really breaking free from that and also how do you talk about these things with your daughter so that history doesn't really stutter and how do you show her what healing looks like right so how do I break free from that process and even just like speak about it with my daughter yes I would say the biggest thing that has supported me is journaling. I'm such an avid journaler. I've been journaling, well, since I started this journey, so about 10, 11 years now. And what happens when I journal is 
I'm just raw. I just let everything come out of me. All the feelings, all the thoughts, all the beliefs. Just raw, uncensored. No trying to reframe anything. No trying to write that I should see things in a different way or no trying to convince myself to not feel how I'm feeling or think how I'm thinking. No, none of that. Just pure rawness on paper. And I, I just started practicing doing that because I was really stuck. I was really feeling stuck, I should say. And I was practicing doing that for, let's say, the first five the seven years in my 20s. So I was from like when I was 20 to about 27 years old. Like I have a very stubborn ego. <laughs> so it took me seven years, right? And I would just journal like that. I, yeah, I would just journal like that. And as I was journaling, I was continuing to seek, right? And there's like, and I use the word seek very intentionally because seeking and the way I define seeking is looking outside of myself for answers. And I was also journaling. But luckily, I had enough awareness to know that I needed support with my mental health and my emotional body. And I knew that I needed support with this piece of me before I could move any further. Uh, just in terms of feeling good in my life. Because that was the intention I was holding at that time. I just need to feel good in my life, right? I was looking at different teachings and teachers. I was really just uh, diving all over the place looking for answers. And while I was doing that, I was also journaling avidly on a daily basis of my feelings and my emotions and what was going on with me. I also, as I was seeking, I started picking up bits of information that would support my mental health and my emotional well-being. And I started implementing that in my life. So I talk about turning to plant-based eating a lot. And that was one of the first decisions that I actually made mm -hmm. to help me. And I literally made this decision because in my seeking, I learned that if you go on a vegetarian diet, it helps with creating a lighter space in your body. And I was just like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me try it out for myself to see if that's actually a thing. Because I, for me, the way that my mind works, I can't actually just mm -hmm. believe everything I'm told to believe. I have to actually have an experience of it. So I was just, I changed my diet. I started going into vegetarianism for one year and then I transitioned into complete uh, plant-based eating ever since I was... Ugh, 20 I don't know it's been like eight years eight nine years now so mm -hmm. those things started helping me in the beginning to break the rigidity that that was my mind and my ego changing my diet listening to people really tuning into how I'm feeling and that was the process that I started taking when it came to having these conversations with my daughter, I didn't actually start having these conversations with my daughter until I was maybe 28, 29, around that age, because I was still very much confused about what was happening to me. I just knew that I was committed to figuring it out, <laughs> right? So I didn't really know what was happening with me. I was like up and down on this emotional roller coaster. Different teachers were teaching me and Sometimes I would have intense experience and sometimes I was just completely unsure what was happening to me in my life. So I didn't really know how to talk about it with anyone and I didn't. I kept this to myself. What was happening with me, what I was going through, what I was trying to figure out, I just kept it all to myself. And I didn't start talking about it with my child until I had some sense of what I was going through. Right, so, so the conversations with her started a little later on in my journey when I actually knew what was happening with me. And the first things that I began to talk about with her was actually acknowledging my trauma with my child and actually acknowledging some of the experiences that I went through, mm -hmm. sharing some of those stories with her, and also 
just being so humble to let her know that some of the experiences that she's had with me is because I have had so much of my own trauma that hasn't been healed and is just unconscious. And unfortunately, I projected it on her and I recreated harm. And so the conversations with her actually began around healing the harm that was being created by me between her and I. And those conversations were of me actually first and foremost saying, I'm so sorry, right? Learning to say I'm sorry to my child. Learning to say that I know I messed up. I know I am messing up. I'm sorry. And not and and not having any ego in that, actually genuinely looking at my child and say, gosh, I'm I'm not getting it right right now. I'm sorry. And this is not about you. This is me. That's what that's what it looked like for me with her in the beginning. And then afterwards, when we did our healing together, I started actually having the conversations about how our mind might work or how our ego works or why she might be so sensitive and why I'm so sensitive and why we are the way we are. We just go into discussions and talk about these things together. Like we did yesterday, right? Yesterday, I, I just sat down and asked her, do some of the things I share, is it too intense for you? Because I'm pretty straightforward and blunt and raw with her, but I don't always check in to see, is it too much? Because <laughs> I will always give more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I had to check in and say, hey, are there things that I tell you that's just too intense for you to hold space for? And so I can be more mindful because I just think she's this infinitely capable person who can just understand if I if I do a good enough job, right? But I forget that she's still young and she right. still needs yeah. to cultivate the maturity to hold deep space for some of the darkness I've gone through. So I'm mindful of how much of the darkness I share with her. I can I can only imagine these conversations with your with your daughter <laughs> and uh, one thing that I really admire and appreciate is you, although she is young, they're so smart. They're so mm-hmm. smart. And in the many conversations that I've had with like my young family members, I can, I can only imagine how holding this space, you know, for each other is going to serve her in her adulthood. I can only imagine I wish we all had these types of conversations with their parents at that age. (laughs) Just being able to like fully express how you're feeling, no matter how ugly or beautiful it is. So I I recognize how how powerful that is. I'd love for us to talk about the world today. We're in June of 2020. And right now, as a collective, we really find ourselves being exposed to these hard truths. And they're being delivered in, in, I think, very harsh ways as well. So, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic that's happening and um, everything surrounding, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement after, I think the surge, you know, the surge happened right after George Floyd passed away um, at the hands of police. And now the conversations that I've been having with my uh, closest friends are just this realization that we're not really in control of the world and we never really were. And I think for me, accepting this was just too scary. It was uncertain. It's random. But what also lives here is that we can own our own experience, right? So how we interact with the media, how we interact with our phones, how we interact with the people around us, you know, we can really own our own sense of joy. And I know you're going to talk about this too. And we can also choose to be kind. We can choose to respect our neighbors. And, mm-hmm. you know, for you right now, can you speak to the times that we're in and how you are grappling with this in your in your own life? Yeah. We're in such a remarkable time right now. And I don't even know if I have the words to describe just how 
breathless I get when I think about what is happening. And for me, the first thing that happened when we went into quarantine here, when we started, uh, when state of emergency started happening and we were shutting down stuff, the first thing that I noticed happening to me was there was this call for silence. There was a call inside of me that said, go into silence, deep silence, right? And I've been on this journey long enough with myself to know that when I have such a deep command coming forth from within me, I listen. I just do it. I don't question it, right? So what that looked like was um, I'm off social media completely. I'm not even listening to music. I don't watch news. That hasn't been a part of my existence for a while now, but I, I don't, I would, I would also not go into news headlines via my phone or Google or things like that. So just completely shutting everything out. When I started shutting everything out and I wasn't even listening to music, right? So, and I love music. Music is just like so good. So, but I was told from my higher self, shut out everything. So I did. And what happened was things started coming up inside of me. Questions started coming up inside of me. Uh, questions for me was like, what are you saying yes to? Right? That was a big one for me. What are you saying yes to? This question kept popping up all the time. What are you saying yes to? And for me, I had to really ask myself, what does that even mean? What, what am I trying to look for when I answer this question? And what was happening when I shut out everything was all these questions was coming up from within my being and I wasn't being distracted, right? I wasn't being distracted by social media. I wasn't being distracted by headlines. I wasn't distracted by news or radio. I wasn't distracted by anything. I was just with me being present to the things coming up in my body and in my awareness, right? So what was coming up for me in my awareness were just a bunch of questions that I was asking myself. What are you saying yes to? What are you committing to? What is the life you are saying yes to and committing to? That was the first thing that I had to figure out for myself. And when I when that question came up for me, a whole bunch mm -hmm. of unraveling of my ego also came forward. And so what I'm what I'm seeing happening is that there is such an intensity in the world right now. And the intensity will either pull you in deeper into it, meaning, you know, you're you want to know. You want to know what's happening. You want to know the numbers. You want to know the update. You want to know, right? right? It's pulling you into it. You're you're becoming drawn into it. Your attention, your focus, your awareness is being occupied by what's happening out there, right? Out there in the world, in society. You either become so entrenched in what is happening that you forget who you are. Or what is happening polarizes you inside so much that you start to question who you are. <laughs> right. right. Oh my god. So you either forget you either forget who you are or you're so polarized you start to question who you are. Mm. So if everyone is feeling discomfort right now, if everyone is feeling overwhelmed right now, if folks are feeling just, you know, anxiety or whatever, or all the emotions, right? It's either that you're drawn into what's happening and you're consumed by it and forgetting who you truly are and your purpose here, or all of it is activating something more powerful inside of you that's calling you to say, hey, you know, look at the illusion, look at the lies, question who you are so that the real you can come forward now. Because what I see is an activation. When I look out and I see all that is happening, it's an activation. It is a calling. It is a calling forward. It is a step up now. 
-hmm. Say yes now and let's go. Pedal to the metal, head down, boots on the ground. Let's do this work. Let's go. All right. So that's, that's how I've been navigating this. I'm very aware when something has grasped my ego and is pulling me in. Uh, the first, mm, the first week after the death of Floyd, I was so in it. I was in, I was just in it. I was entrenched in it for the first two days. And then after the first two days, I realized, I realized that my energy felt scattered. Right? Because I, I've spent enough time understanding what it feels like to consolidate my energy versus what it feels like when I'm allowing it to be pulled in multiple directions, I realized it was being pulled in many directions because I was tuning into so much of the social media that was happening. And I stopped. I, 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 I stopped. I got out of uh, Instagram. I got out of all the social things. I tuned out and I went back into being inside of me so that I can understand what does this mean for me? What is this calling up for me to see inside of me, to reflect in me that is ready for me to either release and say that don't serve me or to embrace and say, oh, this is my work. So I see this as a extremely powerful time of activation and learning and supporting folks to navigate this. And, you know, for you painted... Um... A very interesting picture there for people who are feeling confused maybe about who they are or what they believe what are some other than journaling what are some questions mm -hmm. or prompts that people can ask themselves to seek an understanding understand where they are how can they ground themselves mm -hmm. yeah so one of the analogies that I use with myself and sometimes with folks that I work with is this analogy of a bucket with holes in it, right? When I tune out of social media, out of the news, out of uh, reading headlines, out of reading things while scrolling Facebook, when I just say, no, I'm not giving my attention or my energy to any of that stuff. When I do that, what happens is I am focusing all of my energy and my attention and my focus, right? I'm focusing my focus. <laughs> I'm consolidating all of that. Mm -hmm. However, when I, when I tune in to social media, that's like punching a hole in my bucket of concentrated focus. When I tune into a headline, that's another hole that I just poked into my bucket. When I have a conversation with a friend and maybe we decide to ruminate on the terror and the pain and the tragedy, that is also another hole in my bucket. Uh, you know, when, when I watch the news, it's a hole in my bucket. So there's, there's all these different things that I can do, a million, trillion, billion things I can do to take away my focused concentration. So the first thing I always do mm -hmm. is I do this inventory in my life. What am I giving attention to that is taking attention from me that is not serving me in any beneficial kind of way? I know what those are for me. It's being on social media for too long. It's going into the headlines. I know exactly what it is that I do. And I know when I'm doing it. And I know how often and how long I should do it and should not do it. Right. Those are strict boundaries that I have to ground myself. So let's talk about what we're grounding or what that means. Like when we say ground ourselves, what does that mean? <laughs> what are we grounding into? <laughs> when I say ground ourselves and when we're grounding, what that means for me is I am consciously coming back into being with me and remembering who I am. So when I'm tuning into the news, when I'm tuning into social media, when I'm tuning into the headlines, those things don't help me remember who I mm. am. They actually encourage me to forget who I am. And I know this. And so that's why I have these hard boundaries around how long I engage with these things, because I know that the intention behind those things 
is to make me forget who I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we can use them and have some joy while using them. And they're there to be used and to be enjoyed. But too much of something, we know how that goes, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing is I'm very strict about where my attention and my energy is going. That helps me when I decide to tune out of the media and the social things. It helps me to go into myself and to have a clearer receptivity towards my voice when it speaks to me. I can hear it so much easier when I don't have all these things distracting me. I can hear it easier when all these things aren't pulling for my attention. I can hear it easier when my ego isn't being pulled in 10 directions all at once, right? So that's the first thing that I do, is I, I prepare that for myself. One question that I would, I would encourage folks to start with, to start some untethering, would just be asking themselves, who am I? And let that, let yourself go wild with that one. I asked myself this question when I was 19. Everything around me was feeling crappy, and I made all these choices consciously. At least I thought it was conscious for my life, and no one had forced me. I decided to have the baby, to live with the man, to move in the house, to do all the things. (laughs) But here I am, miserable and unhappy. And I asked myself, who am I? Who am I? Mm -hmm. And that led to me realizing that I don't know myself. I don't know who I am. I made all these choices about things that I thought that I want, but I don't actually know if I really want them because I don't know who I am. I've had all these experiences when I was young and I never actually healed from them. How is that impacting my life? So when you start asking the question, who am I? And then you start journaling who you think you are, what actually is shining back to you, what's actually being revealed back to you are aspects of yourself that you can go further and deeper into by questioning it by questioning the reality of it by questioning the truth of it that's incredible joan am i really this person why am i that person why do i think i'm this person when did i first believe that i am this person what was the first you know what's the first experience that i have of myself telling me this is who i am how did i know that Right? How did I know that? And what you what you'll see unraveling, and like it's such a simple question, who am I? What you'll see unraveling are lies, maybe illusions, maybe other people's ideas that you took on uh, and started living and believing that is your actual truth. Or just judgments. You'll see all the way you judge yourself or all, all the way you fear or all the way you doubt, you'll see all of that. All of that that's being reflected back to you are the stuff of your ego, the stuff of your subconscious, the stuff of your unconscious, all that is just ready for you to look at, to embrace, to sift through with love and focused attention and awareness to say, "Mm, I want to know more about you. And that's what you need to do in moments like these where the outer world is so polarizing. Trying to grasp your focus, your attention, your awareness. How much fear do you feel in your body when you tune into the media, to social, to headlines? How much fear is activated in your body? How much doubt is activated in your body? How much judgment is activated in your body? Those are the three pillars of your ego. If those things are activated and you are aware of them, there is something in your ego ready to surface for you to look at in a very interesting, I'm interested, curious, let's discover what this is, so you can move through it, so that you can release that and say, oh, thank you for serving my life, now let me go to work. That's what I would encourage, is for folks to really just tune out the noise as much as they can. Because let me tell you, it's really loud right now. And so much of our being is being 
triggered to want to tune in, to want to connect with, to want to say, yeah, I feel that too. And that's beautiful. And the other piece of that is now asking yourself, what does that mean for me? What, what is that telling me? What is that informing me? Allow yourself to be with you so that your wisdom is reflected back to you by being in your own presence, by being in silence, by consolidating your focused attention and awareness. It's a challenge if you are constantly tuning in to all the noise and the distractions and allowing yourself to be distracted. But if you really commit to saying, I want to know more about me, I want to know more about my life, I want to know more about my mission, my vision, what are my gifts, what are my talents, who am I? And if you really go into that and sit with that and be uncomfortable and let whatever comes up, comes up and go into what comes up with curiosity and discovery and say, hey, let me explore that more. What is going to be revealed to you is your own wisdom your clarity, your way forward, your way through, your breakthroughs. But you have to be willing to do the work. Yeah, that's really, you know, when you started off with... And it's not sexy, it's just nitty-gritty stuff. Yeah, it is nitty-gritty stuff. And when you started with that image of the bucket with all of these holes, I was thinking, you know, what what is causing the holes? And when you described the... Mm-hmm. just being distracted by all of these things it's felt especially during this time the trauma and constantly going online to find more information for things that i already knew existed so it almost became intuitive checking check it mm-hmm. it became automatic right something that I wasn't choosing and something that I wasn't doing consciously. And all of these things were creating these holes for me as you described them. And maybe I thought they were small holes at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but when you keep doing it over and over and over again, it just gets bigger, right? That small pick that you thought Mm -hmm. that maybe would have been inflicted from a needle just sort of multiplies, right? And uh, when you talked about the three pillars of your ego, fear, Mm -hmm. judgment, and doubt, um, you know, I definitely felt that I almost forgot what my vision was, and I forgot what my mission was, and I wasn't working on the projects that brought me joy because I felt Mm. so hopeless. I'm like, if this is how ugly the world is and and it's just Mm -hmm. constantly being fed what is the point like what is the point of creating these things but you almost have to flip it on its head and say no that is exactly the point you know and we cannot succumb to what the enemy is trying to make us feel because we bring beauty and we create love and we create community and all of these things so um you know thank you for sharing that and it it leads to something that you talk about of fighting for your joy. So can you spend some time and and talk about what that means as well? Yeah, sure. So I just want to like acknowledge what you shared because that just gave me chills. (laughs) As you were speaking about your experience, that gave me chills because uh, that's exactly what they want. That's exactly what they want. They want you to stay in the fear. They want you to feel the hopelessness. And in in being in fear and being in that hopelessness feeling, there was non-action, right? Right. <laughs> there was non-action. And so that is exactly it. It's the, we want to get them to the place where they are in non-action. But when you see that that is what is happening, you can say, oh, thank you for reminding me of who I truly am. And now I'm going to (laughs) pivot. So that just gave me so much chill because I'm like, yes, like you are discerning. And that's so powerful. And and fighting for my joy, that, that goes hand in hand to knowing exactly what you were speaking to just now. Every morning when I wake up, I am, you know, I am going and warrioring 
with my ego. Every morning when I wake up, I am drawing my sword and I'm saying I'm warrioring with my ego. Let's go. Let's do this. Right. And the reason why I give it that analogy or the way I put it, I put it in that kind of way is because who I am infinitely is joy. As a you know divine being in form, I am joy. I don't need to seek joy. I don't need to find joy. I am joy. I am love, right? So every morning when I warrior with my ego, what I'm saying is, hey, listen, I'm setting the tone right now. And the tone is I'm going into, I'm, I'm creating space so that I can go and be in my connection with my highest self. So what that looks like for me, I wake up early in the morning and I stretch out my body. Then I go into my meditative practice and I sit in there and I give myself about an hour, an hour and a half of doing that work. Because spending that much time with me in that space of my connection is me anchoring in my joy. Because I am joy. So I'm tuning myself to be in my own joy when I wake up early in the morning and I do that. I go for a walk afterwards because that also tunes my body into being in my joy. If I'm not walking, I'm in a journal. So fighting for my joy, fighting for your joy can look many different kinds of ways. But for me, where I am in my journey right now, it looks like this life that I have said yes to. And the life I have said yes to is being in my divine connection. And that is what is most important to me because I have realized what everything else means to me. And the most important thing to me is always being in my divine connection. Is always being in my supreme love and joy. That is the most important thing to me in my life because that is what I have said yes to. So my morning looks the way it looks because this gets me to be in my connection with myself and creates that joy that isn't based on the outer reality. Creates joy that's not based on other people doing for me other people giving to me, other people even appreciating me, <laughs> right? When I'm cultivating this depth of joy inside of me, everything that I do and give now comes from this space of joy. And I don't need anything else to fill me because I am filled already with my own joy, right? I am whole already with my own wholeness, with my own joyfulness, with my own love, with my own compassion. I have it all already. So I warrior with my ego that tries to lie to me and tell me that's not true, <laughs> right? Or, or my ego tries to judge me and tell me this is why you shouldn't live that kind of way because X, Y, and Z, or try to create fear and say, well, you know, You'll, you're going to live alone like this forever because no one, no one's going to want to live with you like this or whatever the story might be that my ego might try to tell me. I don't, I don't care because I've, I've understood what this world is already and who I am already and what my connection to this world is already and why I am here. So every morning I, do that work to be with me and be in my ultimate joy so that when I am serving, when I am on my mission, it comes from this joy. It doesn't come from a space of lack or hopelessness or fear or anger. It comes from truly wanting to serve because I am so full. I am so full already inside of me because every morning I warrior with the ego to stay in my divine beingness. Does that make sense? Because it's a little no, well, it makes sense and resonates with me. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and you know what, Joan? Like as we wrap up, you know, one thing that I really appreciate about you is 
your spirit of abundance and I was drawn to it in our first interaction (laughs) um our first in-person interaction in Toronto I want to ask you like what is it that you intuitive intuitively believe you know about life about yourself about the world that is a source of joy for you yeah that's a beautiful question and before going into like sharing what that means for me I just want to put a little caveat out there and that I was taught that there is the ultimate reality and the ultimate reality is that which our mind cannot comprehend right it is it is boundless it is infinite and our mind is is mind (laughs) and our mind being of density cannot comprehend our ultimate reality And then there is the relative reality, which is a glimpse, a sliver of an experience that we might have of that which is the ultimate truth, right? So when I share what helps me stay in my joy and brings me joy, what it is that I believe in, I'm speaking from knowing the ultimate reality of my experience. And what I believe that gives me such joy and helps me to stay in my joy is that everything in this world, everything that we call life is beautifully, divinely orchestrated for my self-mastery. And so all the pain that I have experienced was for my mastery. All the suffering that I've experienced was for my mastery. All the confusion, the doubt, the fear, it's for my mastery. All the things that I see in the outer world happening and then consciously tuning in to what is being reflected back to me in my awareness and in my body, it is for my mastery. My mastery as being a master in this life that can hold multiple awareness, that can understand the truth of who I am, be in my truth, and be okay with whatever way the world looks like. To be okay and accept the world in this magnitude because I know that everything being reflected is for me mastering myself and coming into my mastery. So I don't judge it. I don't say that's bad, that's not right, it shouldn't happen that way. I look at it and say, how is this informing my mastery? How is this informing my mission? How is this informing my vision? How is this informing my purpose? How is this refining my awareness? This ultimate understanding of what life means to me is what helps me stay in my joy. And the final question on the power of why is... You know, when shit hits the fan and you feel tired, um, uninspired, and maybe on the brink of giving up on your mission, what is the reason that you keep going? What is your what is your why? Yeah, I love this question because uh, it took so long for me to understand this. <laughs> and now it's like the easiest thing. It's like air. It's like breathing. It's so funny. But my why, it stems from knowing that I am a living ancestor. Mm. It's knowing that, and it's remembering that, right? So the first piece is remembering who I am. I consciously remember I am divine in nature and I'm in form, having experience. And I remember that. And I thank everything that has distracted me and tries to distract me from who I am And I say thank you for actually reminding me of who I am. And I am a living ancestor. I am the ancestor to descendants of warriors, right? And my work here is to prepare for the arrival of my descendants. That is why I do what I do. I do what I do for those that are coming after me. I am very aware that the choices that I make now are going to be impacting my child, my child's child, my great-great-great-grandbabies, 
And I take that very seriously. Mm. I take the liberation of my descendants very seriously. That's why I say I am the warrior to descendants. I am the ancestor to descendants of warriors because I'm raising a warrior baby. And my warrior baby is going to be trained to raise warrior babies. So that is the purpose of my why. It's to continuously liberate all the descendants that are coming from my lineage because I know who I am thank you so much Joan I Mm -hmm. am in awe of the words that you spoke today and reaffirmed that especially during this time we cannot lose our sense of self thank you so much for listening to this week's episode you can find the show notes at naomihaile.com And if you haven't already, subscribe to The Power of Why on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I look forward to you listening to next week's episode.